welcome. How are you doing today? Even if your answer is not so well, this is still the right place to be. You're at OTR, Achieving Mental Health for Real, formerly Over the Rainbow. So why should you listen to this podcast? Well, like the title says, to achieve mental health that's real. We talk to people who suffer and battle real mental health issues. It gives you a chance to hear how they cope with their problems and hopefully recover or at least learn to manage and live with them. We also have on occasion a mental health expert that may be able to help with some of your issues. So relax and get ready to hear valuable information that can help and inspire you to achieve mental health for real. Now, here is Bob with today's interview. Thank you, Amanda. Hi, Bob Adelman again. We're at OTR, Achieving Mental Health for Real. Today's show is very interesting. It's about a woman called Vivian Conant. She wrote the book, Losing the Atmosphere. And it was a chronicle of her life and how she didn't understand what was happening to her. And eventually, when she was 46, they uh, diagnosed her correctly as having disassociative identity disorder, and it was formerly called multiple personality disorder. She also had something called attachment disorder, which is the basis of what she's calling the atmosphere. So here's my interview with the author, Vivian Conan. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, how are you doing, Vivian? Hi, I'm doing fine. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you here today. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your conditions? Well, I I am 78 years old, and I was started therapy when I was 16 years old, ostensibly because I was talking to faces in the mirror that were not my own. Um, and But I, at the same time, I was also looked like a normal teenager. I, w- I went, you know, I had girlfriends. We went ice skating together. So I essentially had two different lives, a life in my head and a life in the outside world. And I didn't find out until I was 46 years old that I had what was then called multiple personality disorder and is now called dissociative identity disorder. Um, by that time, I was on my like fourth therapist or fifth therapist, and I had already been in the hospital several times with a misdiagnosis of schizophrenia. But all the time, at the same time, I had an I had an outside veneer that was very like was very capable of getting along in the outside world. I went to college and I had jobs and. So all along, I knew that there's something wrong, that I could be at the same time so crazy and so sane. And I often would go, do, go to the library to do research to see if I could find a description of myself because I, I just knew that this wasn't normal to be so fine and so not fine at the same time and switch back and forth, but I couldn't find any description. So when I was 46 and I finally knew that I had 
what was then called multiple personality disorder or MPD, even though it was a very scary diagnosis, I was relieved because it suddenly made sense. Suddenly, all my past history made sense to me. So that's in a nutshell what my diagnosis is. So you wrote a book called Losing the Atmosphere. Could you tell us a little bit about the book? Yes, I will. So I just finished, actually, it took me 25 years to write, and I am not the same person at the end of the 25 years that I was in the beginning, um, both as a writer and also emotionally and psychologically. So I had to go back and smooth it out and make it all. But my book is called Losing the Atmosphere. And the atmosphere was a fantasy world that I created. I didn't create it on purpose, but it just came into being when I was about five years old. Um, I, you know, um, multiple personality disorder now called dissociative identity disorder is basically caused by childhood trauma. And the trauma could be physical or sexual or emotional. And in my case, it was mostly emotional trauma and also attachment trauma. And in, the, in my fantasy world of the atmosphere, there were all these kindly adults that understood me in a way the real adults in my life did not understand me. And they, they watched over me, and I thought that they knew everything that I thought and felt and did. And so whenever the real world grown-ups in my life uh, were either abusive or not very kind to me or upsetting to me, I reverted to the atmosphere. And so I was able to get comfort from the atmosphere. And in that way, I was able to go to school and play with children and appear as if my life was normal. Um, so the atmosphere was adaptive for me when I was a child because it helped me get along. And, and a child cannot escape her mm -hmm. situation. Usually she can't leave home. A five-year-old can't leave home and get along on her own. So I escaped internally instead of escaping externally. But when I grew up and became an adult and was no longer in an abusive situation, I no longer needed the atmosphere but it was so much a part of my being, and I was so used to, to getting emotional support from imaginary people, not real people, that it turned from being adaptive to becoming a liability. In the book, you describe Wendy and uh, Emily. Uh, so do you also had uh, childlike figures in the atmosphere? Well, the atmosphere was adults who were kind to me. But I had, so I had two what, what's called disorders. I don't like the no. word disorder, I, you know, conditions, or I call them adaptations. But I had two. One was the atmosphere, which was to, uh, related to attachment. And the other was I, I, I had dissociation, or I, internally I split into mm -hmm. parts. And that was the dissociative identity disorder, formerly called multiple personality disorder. So what basically happens when a child 
is abused um, repeatedly over over a long period of time, and by by people, by adults on whom the child has to depend for food and shelter. Um, the child cannot escape those people. So another way of escaping internally is by dividing myself up. So what what the theory of dissociation is is that. It's a walling off of parts of yourself to avoid pain. And an example is disaster victims who, if, if they stare blankly while they go about doing whatever needs to be done in the moment in order to survive, they, they cut off their emotion. And their emotion only comes back later when it's safe and they can process everything that they went through. So the splitting off of emotion can ha- can last for hours. It could last for days, or in my case, it could last. It lasted for decades. And so I split off, and and I had some child parts that were six years old, and I had um, a part named Emily who was perpetually in search of a mommy, and she was very shy and um, timid. And then I had another six-year-old who was very outgoing and precocious. And, you know, she was not afraid to talk to adults. And I had other internal parts, too. Like each, I had some internal parts that were helpers. Like I had a part called Almost Vivian, who was about 20 years old and made sure that Things functioned right in the outside world. Make sure that mm-hmm. I got up in the morning to go to work and went to the supermarket to buy food, sort of like an administrator type. So a, a, a concurrently with the attachment problem, which was the atmosphere, I also had a dissociation problem. And um, the problem the problem with having these problems is that at the time, I mean, I'm 78, so I didn't discover this until the mid-1980s. And at the time, not much was known about dissociation in general. There were there were a lot of clinicians who knew about it, but there were also very many who did not believe the condition existed. They believed that if it did exist, it was caused by therapists who were trying to uh, convince their clients that they had, you know, these other people in them. And so it was very hard to find a therapist who not only was not put off by the, by the diagnosis, but who knew how to treat it. And also, I didn't realize at the time that I had the attachment problem. So ultimately, the therapist who was finally able to help me realized that the attachment was almost more of a problem than the dissociation and that until he helped me deal with the attachment problem and let go of my dependence on the atmosphere and come to, you know, depend more on real people, that I wouldn't be, he wouldn't be able to help me with the dissociation. So he focused more on the atmosphere at first and that's why I called my book Losing the Atmosphere Okay but the atmosphere was not part of the dissociation It actually was in the sense that 
it's not all of my parts that had the atmosphere because on some level, I was always able to connect with people in the real world. I had girlfriends. I had colleagues at work. I went out to lunch with them. But it was not with all of me. Like, I don't call my internal personalities personalities. I call them parts. So not all parts of me uh, felt the atmosphere or felt that the atmosphere was a part of their life. They didn't even... Some parts of me didn't even know about the atmosphere, but the deep internal parts of me did. And so all my relationships with people were mostly superficial. They weren't through and through. And that was because of the dissociation that I was able to split off parts of myself and have functional parts who got along in the outside world. And another thing that happens with the dissociation is that um, people who have dis- dissociative identity disorder, most of them have gone through trauma when they were young, and they still carry a lot of the emotional pain inside them. And if there was no way to wall off that emotional pain, they wouldn't be able to go out into the world and interact. So the way they wall off the emotional pain or the way I walled off the emotional pain was Mm -hmm. to let certain parts of me held the pain while other parts of me were free of the pain and didn't know about it. So one of the, one of the components of getting better quote unquote from dissociation is to have the parts become aware of one another and to have what's called co-consciousness and to um, almost not relive the trauma, but in, in a safe place with a therapist who is empathic to let the parts that are holding the trauma talk about it and feel it and, and feel it in, the, in a safe place, in, in a therapist's office that is a good ther- who is a good therapist and who, who understands. I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear or I only made it more complicated. No, I understand. Um, my only question is, how is the disassociative identity disorder different than the attachment disorder? Well, attachment, the attachment and the dissociation were related. But the, the attachment component of it was that I relied more the atmosphere people were adults who were kind, kind to me. If, if there was a, in real life, if there was a camp counselor or a teacher or even a bus driver who was remotely kind to me, I immediately split them up into two versions. I had their in-person version and their atmosphere version. They immediately became part of the atmosphere. And in the atmosphere, they were perfect. They they watched over me and they understood me and they knew about my pain and they knew about my unhappiness. They didn't have to do anything about it. It was enough for me that they, they saw me and they knew. But their in-person version did not know. Th- oh, the atmosphere people knew things without my having to tell them. I, they were just in my thoughts. I, I didn't feel that they were in bodies. I felt that they were loose 
they were their molecules were loose and floating in the air. And if there were 10 atmosphere people, all 10 of their molecules were mixed in together in the air. And when I breathed them, I breathed them in and I breathed them out. So I felt that they were part of me. But the, the in-person version of the same, like, like I had a high school teacher, who an English teacher who I liked and who I confided that I, that I saw faces in the mirror that weren't me. And I, I felt very close to her because she was in the atmosphere, but she didn't know she was in the atmosphere. She just knew she was my English teacher and she was also the dean of girls. So when she didn't, when she didn't believe me at first, she thought I was pulling her leg. I got really upset because I was sure that she knew everything that her atmosphere version knew. And so those kinds of misunderstandings, like a, 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 a real person in a flesh and blood, uh, a flesh and blood person, I used to think of them as people who walked around in skin containers, as opposed to the molecules that were floating in the air all around me. So often, if I had a, two versions of someone, an atmosphere version and an in-person version, the in-person version could do things that upset me or maybe that were not kind. When that happened, I immediately discounted the in-person version and I reverted to their atmosphere version where everything was fine. And the reason that is considered an attachment disorder is First of all, there aren't really two versions of people. Um, mm -hmm. There's one person that I have to deal with, and that person might have moods. They might be happy or sad or kind or not kind at different times, but they're one person. But I, I automatically discounted that person and had a closer emotional relationship with the, with the fictitious version of that person. And getting better from the attachment disorder meant I had to loosen my dependence on these atmosphere people and come to interact with real people on a deeper level. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, the so the attachment disorder was really the atmosphere. The, the atmosphere was a manifestation of the attachment disorder, yes. Yeah, you said that better. Thank you. Um, so once you did start uh, going against your atmosphere feelings, uh, it was a, a tough adjustment to kind of go into the real world? It was a very hard transition. And so my the therapist who, who actually I have now, but the one who understood that it was more it was more urgent to tackle the atmosphere and the attachment before we worked on the dissociation. He, I had him in the atmosphere, and I also had him as a real world person. And his atmosphere version always understood me perfectly. His real world version usually understood me personally per perfectly but not always. And so he felt that in order for me to loosen my hold on the atmosphere, I needed to have an atmosphere-like experience with a real flesh and blood person. And so he 
decided he would be that real world person. And so he tried to make himself as atmosphere-like as possible, meaning he tried to always be empathically attuned to me. And he tried to, he, what I used to be very, I used to believe that if, if when I saw him in a session and I said uh, that he had no life outside the therapy room. Mm. So when I said goodbye to him at the end of one session and there was maybe a few days or sometimes a week before I saw him again, I believe that in the intervening time, he just stood there with his hand in the air waving goodbye to me until the next time I walked in. Now, I I was an adult going there, and I knew that he must have a life outside of there. He must, you know, go eat and go to the supermarket and stuff. But because of the dissociation, I was able to wall that knowledge off. So the part of me that had him in the atmosphere didn't know that he had a life outside the office. Other parts of me did know. So um, he tried to make himself as atmosphere-like as possible. If he wore a different pair of socks in one session that he had on in another, I was very upset because it meant that he had gone someplace out of the office and changed his socks, or he had gone to a store and bought another pair of socks. I didn't like that indication that he was not in the atmosphere. I needed him to be exactly the same with the same shirt and the same socks, everything the same. I would get upset if he had a haircut. And so he tried to remember to wear the same socks whenever I had a session. He tried to make himself available by phone outside of sessions if I needed to call. So he kind of bent over backwards to show me that he was as reliable as an atmosphere person. And it took years, several years, but little by little, his atmosphere version and his real life version merged closer and closer together until eventually he is the real person to me. He is not in the atmosphere anymore. He was the first person to make a step out of the atmosphere. And so once that started, other people started fading from the atmosphere. Little by little, I began to connect more with the real life person. But it was a difficult transition because real life people can sometimes make mistakes. And I never had the skill of learning how to negotiate or talk over a problem because in the past, whenever there was a problem, I would just revert to the atmosphere version and ignore the problem and think everything was okay. And now that I didn't have the atmosphere version of a person to revert to, I had to learn how to talk to people when there was a disagreement or, you know, a discrepancy. I had to learn how to relate to people on a, on a more deep level. And at the same time, mm-hmm. as I began to lose the atmosphere, um, the dissociative barriers that were dividing parts of me began to 
crumble on their own. And so I was more conscious of other people in me. And whereas before I could be either just an adult, acting with adults, and I could ignore the six-year-old parts of me, now that there was more co-consciousness, I started to be very uncomfortable talking to people because I felt sometimes, even though I was in adult in an adult body, that I was I had the perception of a child when I was talking to someone, and I didn't feel entitled to to participate in the conversation. So even though they saw me as an adult, I could not I could not participate in conversations. So at a party, I might offer to carry around the coffee or serve the cake because then I didn't have to sit sit still and talk to someone. I could be moving around. And so I call it that age dysphoria. And it it was too big of a jump for me to go from six years old to 60 years old. Like I never went through the stages in between. So that also was very hard to get used to. I mean, I'm 78 now. My physical body is 78, and I am now comfortable as an adult, and I am comfortable talking to other adults as adult as an adult. I still regret, like I still sort of mourn the years that I lost. I mean, it's almost as if I never went through middle age, and I never went through young adulthood and middle age. I all of a sudden became a senior citizen, but I'm not unhappy with my life now because I have much closer relationships with people and they're much more satisfying than they were in the past. That's great. Uh, Do you still kind of get depressed at times or it's a lot better? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I am a regular human being and I, yes, I do. And I wouldn't say, I mean, people ask me like, what happened to the atmosphere and what happened to all the other people in you? I mean, the atmosphere was adaptive when it started out. And now if, if I am under a lot of stress, the atmosphere can come back for a day or so mm-hmm. or a couple of hours. And it's, I don't consider it a really bad thing. It's helping me get through a hard time. It's not taking over my whole life. And occasionally if I'm very sick, you know, I'm, I mean, very upset with something or very, in, you know, in a lot of pain about something. I might, you know, the the dissociation might come back for a little, but it's not major and it's not something that takes over my life. And my definition of being, quote, better, unquote, is just being, it's not, it's not being totally integrated and it's not being totally free of magical thinking. It's just being comfortable with who I am in my own body and every, every body inside me, whether they're integrated or not, is just comfortable. No one's arguing with anyone or in a lot of, you know, we're, we're more like an, if the, if the dissociation does come back, it's more like an orchestra that is playing together the same thing rather than a bunch of noise and everyone going in a different direction, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a very good explanation of it. Do you want to 
tell the audience about the book and where they can get, get it? But yes, I would definitely like to tell people about the book. The book is called Losing the Atmosphere, and the subtitle is A Baffling Disorder, A Search, a search for Help, and the Therapist Who Understood. And it's under, I'm the author, my name is Vivian Conan, that's V-I-V-I-A-N-C-O-N-A-N, and you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can also go to you, your local bookstore and order it. And right now, the paperback is out. Um, in a few weeks, the ebook will be out, meaning Kindle or Nook. And in November, the audiobook will be out. And the audiobook is narrated by Cassandra Campbell, who has won many awards for her audiobook narrations. And she's done a wonderful job of the audiobook. Mm -hmm. And also, you could also go to my website to learn about this. It's VivianConan.com. V-I-V-I-A-N-C-O-N-A-N dot C-O-M. Okay. We got that. Uh, also, I'll put that on my link in the description so they can just link right to Thank it. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you would want to talk to the audience that we haven't discussed? Um, yes, actually. So some people ask me why I wrote the book and what I hope people will take away from reading it. Um, what I, I really wrote the book primarily because I felt so invisible in the world and so mis misunderstood. Like a lot of people, you know, are, are afraid when that went at the time when it was called multiple personality disorder, people thought that people who had multiple personality disorder were freaks and, and were dangerous. There's a lot in the media like that, you know, oh, someone committed a murder and he's has multiple personalities and he said, oh, well, I didn't do it. It was one of my other personalities who did it. And I, I was really want people to see that people who have dissociative identity disorder are just regular people who have been traumatized when they were young, but they go to work, they go to school. You could be next to me in the supermarket and you wouldn't even know it. And also, there are people who have had a lot of pain in their life and they still have pain and they're, they're troubled people. And that therapy can help with the right therapist that you can get better and that this is just another, you know, psychological, emotional uh, condition. It's not that it's not a freak. And I would like people also to know if people, you know, know someone who has dissociative identity disorder or if people have it themselves, that you can get better for it from it. It's not quick. You don't get better on an insurance company schedule. Like it doesn't mean, oh, you have six sessions and you take this pill and now you're better. It's a lot of hard work, but you do get better and don't give up. That's, that's really what the message that I want to put out there. I was going to ask you if you, along the way, took any medication for, for the condition? Well, I did not take medication for dissociative identity disorder or for the atmosphere, 
when I was in the hospital and they thought I was schizophrenic, they gave me Thorazine, which was horrible for me. I mean, it might be good for some people, but it was devastatingly bad for me. And then at some point, um, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s and I was very upset and nobody knew what was the matter, I did take Valium, which was the go-to tranquilizer at the time, but that was just to be more peaceful. Um, and I wound up becoming addicted to it, which was another problem in itself. But as far as medication for dissociation or for an attachment disorder, I don't know that there is any, um, but you know, the good therapy is, this is, a, this is, um, both conditions where good therapy really does work. Yeah, it, it sounds like it does. I uh, read the book and I saw your progress, and I think you've come a long way. Well, the one I did have a question though. Where did the? How did you come up with uh, the phrase "atmosphere"? How did that originate? Um, actually, I don't know. I, I, I just know that I. The word atmosphere was not something that I consciously made up, but I did know that I had, I did know that I felt these people uh, swimming in the air all around, their molecules like floating around, swimming in the air all around me. And it, it just was my conception of the air all around me is what the atmosphere is all around me. And I think when I was a young, I knew, I, you know, I don't know when I first knew the word atmosphere, but I, I knew that my, when I was very young, I did know that my, I did know what a molecule was. And my conception of a molecule when I was like five or six years old would, was that if, if you take a, a piece of paper and you cut it in half and then you cut it in half again and you cut it in half again and you keep cutting it in half until you get the smallest, smallest piece. That's a molecule. That was my understanding of it. And so these molecules of these people were floating in the air all around me. And I kind of knew that the air was the atmosphere. And I don't remember when I first used the term atmosphere, but it just was a natural progression. Just it just was the, the atmosphere. People's molecules in the air were the atmosphere. Great. Um, yeah, I read the book and it was very fascinating. It had a lot of interesting uh, moments and like it wasn't just one subject. It had, it had a lot of different scenes. I mean, the book focuses mainly on my therapy and my quote illness unquote. But I also wanted to show that I had a regular life. Right. You know, I I got two master's degrees, one in library science and one in data processing. And I worked as a librarian and I worked as a uh, IT systems analyst. And I had friends and I had boyfriends and I had a family with a, I had a lot of cousins and, um, you know, I had grandparents. I loved my my extended family and, and so I tried to give a 3D picture, even though the focus was on the dissociation and the attachment and the therapy. I wanted to show a whole life, and you know, and I'm, that I'm a 3D person. I'm not just one one sliver of a person. 
Thank, thank you very much for being on the show. I, I really appreciate it. You were a great guest. Um, uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that's Vivian Conan. She wrote the book, Losing the Atmosphere. It's on Amazon. If you do a search, um, you also can order it from your local bookstore. It's a fascinating book uh, about a fascinating person. Unfortunately, in her time, they didn't have the technology and the knowledge to help her right away. They just diagnosed her as schizophrenic, but she had difficulties that I don't really know how they originate. There was some drama that went on in her life, and it may have caused this, but she knew how to handle it. She didn't give up, and eventually... She's in a good place. And that's kind of the story of this podcast. That's what I like to do is uh, take the stigma away from mental illness and try to get people to get help for themselves before it's too late and they do something that isn't just going to be all bad for everyone. Okay, so that's it. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. You know where to reach me on that. Over the rainbow bob at gmail.com, over the rainbow bob at gmail.com. And I can also be seen in my Twitter site, Over the Rain One Bow. That's Over the Rain One Bow. And I post out when the new shows are coming out and when they come out. So keep an eye on that. You'll know when things are happening. Um, that's all I got. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for OTR, Achieving Mental Health for Real, and you'll get to my Facebook and Instagram sites. So I'm looking forward to the next show, and hopefully it'll be soon. I'm trying to get things out maybe once a week, but it's been difficult lately. But I think um, I'm going to get more on track with that. But suspect that I do at least one every two weeks. So thanks for listening, and everybody have a good day.